I invite you to open your Bible or one of the pew Bibles to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans for the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Let us ask the Lord's blessing. Our gracious God, we pray that by the power of your Spirit, you will enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we might behold wondrous things from your law, that you would give to us a spirit of illumination and spiritual wisdom and insight. Help us, Lord, by your grace to receive what you say, and may what you say take hold of our hearts and our minds so that we might serve you with all our might, with gratitude and joy. Through Christ our Savior. Amen. The Word of God, it is written, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. And now unto Him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by His blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Honor your father and your mother. This is the fifth sermon on the fifth commandment. Now that ought to tell you something. Because although the fifth commandment in its simplest application may mean, and it does mean, teaching and requiring our children and grandchildren to say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am, or a very, very polite and respectful equivalent, that's a good beginning. The fifth commandment certainly has far more applications and implications than that, as we have heard in the previous sermons. And as a matter of fact, the Westminster Larger Catechism, which is one of our doctrinal standards, it sets forth the teaching of the Bible in a systematic fashion. In the Westminster Larger Catechism, the fifth commandment receives far more extensive explanation than any of the other commandments. It has 11 questions and answers which go along with it. And most of the others have three. Now, that doesn't mean that the others are not as important as the fifth commandment. Of course not. But it 
does mean this, that our spiritual forebears, our spiritual ancestors, the Puritans, who wrote the larger catechism, saw the broad and far-reaching applications and implications of the fifth commandment for the well-being not only of the family, but also the church and the civil state. In other words, the broad and far-reaching applications, implications of the fifth commandment for the well-being of human civilization. Now, on your insert, the one on which you are currently taking notes, you have question and answer from the larger catechism number 127. I hope you will study it later, today, or in the week to come. And in doing so, you may be struck, as I recently was, by the fact that the teaching of the catechism on the fifth commandment sounds like something from another world. I mean, it may, it may sound very, very strange or foreign to the culture in which you and I live today. And it does. And the, and the reason for this is simply this. Today... I'm not telling you something you don't know, but you and I live, and our children and our grandchildren live in a very, very anti-authority culture. We live in a very, very anti-authority culture, the seeds of which were sown in the 1960s. Now, of course, actually, the, the seeds of anti-authority were, in fact, first sown in the Garden of Eden when Adam disobeyed God's clear command. But in our culture in particular, we have seen how this has played itself out, especially since the 1960s. We have sown the wind and reaped the whirlwind. Who has the right to tell me what to do or not to do? Nobody. Now that attitude begins in the home, can begin in the home, and then spread like a cancer throughout the society, in the school, on the athletic team, in the workplace, in relationship to law enforcement, civil authorities, political office holders. It can be an attitude with respect to church leadership. And ultimately, no surprise, in relation to God Himself. Who has the right to tell me what to do or what not to do? Nobody. Now, just this week, I came across something. I know, I know that you all appreciate the deep and serious, thoughtful research Pastor Jonathan and I attempt to put in for preparation for sermons, and I'd like to share a little bit of this with you. It comes from hints from Heloise <laughs> in last Monday's paper. 
I meant to bring it with me, but I've got it right here. Dear Heloise, as school children go back to their desks and books, I'm reminded of how difficult it is to teach a curriculum today. In other countries, children are taught to respect their teachers. I don't see it here in the U.S. We've taken away all authority from our teachers, blamed them if a student fails in class, and made teaching an unattractive profession. What can districts do to attract more teachers? Perhaps the most important part is parental support from Karen in Wisconsin. <laughs> well, we hear these kinds of laments over and over and over again, but perhaps what Karen in Wisconsin and others don't understand is that when you remove the foundation stones of a building, it's going to collapse. And the foundation stone of stability in a school and in a society is the fifth commandment. And that's what our Puritan forebears understood. And that's why there's 11 questions and answers to the fifth commandment in the larger catechism. Question 124 of the larger catechism asks, To whom does father and mother refer in the fifth commandment? Father and mother refer not only to our parents, but to everyone who is older or more talented than we are. I mean, for one thing, can you imagine anybody admitting that somebody else is more talented than they in our culture? Everyone who is older or more talented, then that means someone that, you know, from whom you could actually learn something. And specifically to those whom God has ordained to be over us in positions of authority. There's that word whether in our family, the church, or civil government. And of course, the catechism is supported with various scriptural citations. But to illustrate the opposition to this Christian perspective, here's something a little more serious than hints from Heloise. This is a quote from author Annie Gottlieb writing about the revolutionary movement of the 60s, in the 60s. Quote, listen to this. This is a well-known author writing about her experience of involvement in the revolution, revolutionary movements of the 60s. We might not have been able to tear down the state, but the family was closer. We could get our hands on it. And we believed that the family was the foundation of the state as well as the foundation of the collective state of mind. We truly believed that the family had to be torn apart. And the first step was to tear ourselves free from our parents. There it is. You see the connection? Tear down the family, and you tear down the state, the established order. This has been a prime tenet of the revolutionaries since the days of Marx and Lenin, and it is with us full bloom today 
in America. You know, there's a lot of talk about socialism in the news today, as though it really were a viable option for the United States of America. But did you know that a prime strategy of the socialists, I'm talking about Karl Marx 150 years ago, that who wrote that in order for socialism to replace capitalism, the prime tenet has been to undermine and essentially do away with the nuclear family. Do you understand that that is an agenda? It is at work in America today by the intellectual elites and those who control the trends of culture. That's where we are today. It's been coming upon us for the last 50 or 60 years in America. What I hope all of you parents with children at home and grandparents are able to interact with your grandchildren. What I hope you understand is that right now, right now, running throughout American culture in education, major media, the entertainment industry, politically is an ideological spirit of Marxist revolution which has to do not only with socialism versus capitalism, but also the deconstruction of the family, the undoing and the undermining of the authority of the nuclear family. The revolutionary deconstruction of gender identity and sexual morality together with the aggressive demand for unlimited abortion rights all of which are an assault on the institution of the family. Along with the promotion of violent and peace-disturbing protests and the elimination of foundational liberties such as religious liberty and freedom of speech, the First Amendment is under attack. Do you know it? Do you know that? And it's all about the deconstruction and the denial of any transcendent, eternal truth. Who's got the right to tell me what to do or not to do? Nobody. Because there's no such thing as truth. That was a long sentence, but you know what it means. There is in our culture an active, aggressive spirit of the age, an ideological agenda of revolution and demolition against any and all institutions and structures of American society which have their foundation on the authority of the Judeo-Christian heritage of this nation, especially those which have their foundational principles based on the biblical worldview of our Puritan forebears. So much of what we see today in our crumbling American culture comes as a result of our abandonment of the fifth commandment as understood by our Puritan forebears. So do you understand what's at stake here? This is the reason. This is the reason that we want to educate our children. What, what do you think we do? Teach the catechism for the fun of it? No, 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 no. We're raising them to be citizens in the kingdom of God. Why does Pastor Mabry encourage you, parents, grandparents, to parent your children in the pew, sing the hymns with them, read the scripture with them, help them learn to worship so they will learn who they are? 
They are subjects of the King, King Jesus. God the Creator is the God of order, not of disorder. He is the God of peace, not of chaos. The fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, reflects God's own eternal character for the sake of the well-being of all human society. The fifth commandment, remember, is the bridge between. It is the hinge of the two tablets connecting love for and duty to God with love for and duty to our neighbor. You do away with the fifth commandment, and human civilization plunges into chaos, anarchy, and ultimately terrible, terrible tyranny. So parents and, and, and grandparents and, and spiritual parents and grandparents, do you really know what your children are being taught? Are you reading their history books? Their science books? Their social study books? Really, are you? Are you reading what they're reading? In literature, are they reading the classics of Western civilization or some 21st century politically correct drivel? You need to know for the sake of their soul. You are responsible and accountable for their education and for their philosophical and theological worldview. Will your children grow up to be biblical Christians or Marxist revolutionaries or New Age pagans? That is a live question. And that's what's at stake. That's what's at stake right here in Covenant Presbyterian Church of Monroe, Louisiana. Are we a community which seeks to raise up, nurture, teach, instruct, and discipline the next generation of the body of Christ? Are we just going to let the world have them? I mean, that's a call for all of us to be on board together. All of us. All. Every single one of us. Spiritual parents. Spiritual grandparents. Involved in the life of the community of this church. Involved with parents who are raising children. Reaching out. Supporting. Gathering together. Giving our children a, a, a wholesome and happy vision of what life in the community of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is and can be. We're going to do that or are we going to let the world have them? But the fifth commandment has implications and applications not only for the way in which we teach our children to honor those in authority, but also for us as well, us adults as Christians. So this is the next big category. Never, ever in our lifetime have we Americans witnessed such public incivility in politics. Now this incivility started brewing a while back. And, you know, it's been turned up a couple of notches over the last couple of decades. And now it's boiling over, raging in our own day. And those on both the left and the right, liberal and conservative, have turned up the heat 
past the boiling point. The 24-7 entertainment news cycle, plus the world of social media, certainly does not help. And who knows? Who knows what this political incivility will look like over the coming months? Have we as Christians ever considered that this political incivility from the left and the right is an example of blatant disobedience to the fifth commandment? What does the Scripture say? Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And then that passage concludes at verse 7, Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. And in this context, the phrase clearly applies to those who are in positions of a civil authority. And remember, it was written to the Christians in Rome in the first century and in the historical context, those in civil authority were not particularly interested in the well-being of Christians or friendly toward them. And you remember the Christian believers in Rome had no political status or influence at all. You know, they didn't have a, you know, <laughs> Christian lobby or, you know, pack. <laughs> you got to be kidding. Nevertheless, the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, instructed the Christians in Rome and elsewhere to be subject to the governing authorities, not to resist the authorities, and to be peaceable, law-abiding, tax-paying subjects of the empire. And although there's no direct reference to the fifth commandment, the principle is there, right there in verse 1. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And the authority of the father and mother in the family is the foundational authority instituted by God, but governmental authority likewise has been instituted by God for the sake of order in society. And therefore, the Christian's obligation to the state, the civil authorities, is to be one of honor and subjection. And there are ex exceptions in exceptional situations, and we'll get to that. But for the moment, we're focusing on the generally established biblical principle, which we find also in the Apostle Paul, uh, Peter's first letter, chapter 2, which says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now when Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome and when Peter wrote his letter, Emperor Nero had not yet unleashed his hellish, horrible persecution upon Christians. When these letters were written, Christians were in some ways being harassed and abused and marginalized and discriminated against, but they were not yet being tortured and killed by the Roman authorities. That terrible persecution came uh, later, soon, but, but later after these were written. And, and, and so it's also the case that in certain circumstances, the Christian response to tyranny may be quite different from the honor and obedience spoken of in Romans and 1 Peter. For example, I think you would get that clearly in the book of the Revelation, in which the oppressive state is uh, referred to as the beast. 
But nevertheless, um, Christians are called, but there are certain exceptions. There can be exceptions. For example, well, for example, here's a good one. How about the American Revolution, which was led in part, for the most part, by Presbyterians <laughs> who knew the larger catechism. Right? I mean, their grandfather, you know, could have been an author of the larger catechism. So they weren't anarchists. They had to have philosophical and theological justification for the revolution. And that's the reason that the Declaration of Independence, after those beautiful opening paragraphs, you know, that we all know, well, after that, it refers to a long train of abuses and usurpations, listing the actions of King George III, which proved him to be no longer a rightful king, but an absolute despot thereby making the argument that it was not only the right, but also the duty of the people to overthrow his tyranny. So, in the case of the American Revolution, some Christians believed that they were justified in rebelling against King George. And that, by the way, is the reason that the English referred to it as a Presbyterian rebellion. But that's one of the exceptional cases. The basic biblical teaching regarding the Christian's relationship to the state based on the fifth commandment, Jesus' own teachings, Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, is that we are to live as peaceable citizens giving honor to whom honor is due. And in our case, in a modern democracy, that is really a republic, that really means giving honor to the office and therefore giving honor to the office holder in his or her capacity as a public official not necessarily as a private individual. This is the point at which American politics has run off the rails with incivility on both the left and the right, liberal and conservative, especially within the last 10 years. A disagreement with policy is usually expressed with a personal attack on the individual, left and right. And so-called conservatives, so-called evangelical Christians, such as many of us, have forgotten the principle of the fifth commandment in this regard. There are ways of disagreeing with policy or position without dishonoring the office by maliciously ridiculing the office holder. And while it might perhaps be true that a particular office holder, as a private individual, may not be worthy of high honor, it nevertheless remains that the office is to be honored, and the way we show honor to the office is by showing honor and respect to the office holder as he or she represents that office. In a modern democracy, republic, such as the United States, this is the best application of the biblical instruction to honor the emperor. We don't have an emperor. Again, thanks to our, our Scottish Presbyterian forebear, Samuel Rutherford, who was one of the authors of the Westminster Confession, who developed the political philosophy of lex rex, meaning the law is king rather than the king is law. It means that we are a nation governed by law and not by men. Thanks to Samuel Rutherford and others, we don't have an emperor, an absolute monarch. What we have is a constitution. 
And our elected office holders have the responsibility to act, to represent, and to act in accordance with that Constitution. Therefore, their office at each level of government, down to the local level, is worthy of honor, whether we like them personally or not, whether we agree with their political positions or not. And our office holders ought to treat one another with the honor and respect due to their respective offices. But it seems that at least some Americans, even American Christians, actually enjoy the mud-slinging, maligning insults, violating the fifth commandment. So, no matter who is our next mayor, our next governor, our next president, We will pray for him or her in accordance with the fifth commandment, Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, and 1 Timothy 2. In addition, honor for ordained authorities is also the main reason that we as Christians honor the flag and recite the Pledge of Allegiance and stand for the national anthem. This is a way to address all that hoopla about the NFL and and why, why as Christians we would do this. It's not because we're people of blind patriotism. It's not with an, with an arrogant attitude of love it or leave it. That's not it at all. This is it for Christians. Because honoring the flag, standing for the national anthem, reciting the Pledge of Allegiance are acts of obedience to God's command to be subject to the governing authorities and to honor the emperor. That's how we do it. It's the same principle. Children honor God by honoring their parents. Citizens honor God by honoring the governing authorities and the Constitution, represented by the flag and the anthem. It is an act of obedience to the fifth commandment. Have you ever thought about that? But, as Christians, we must always remember that the flag of the United States is not the flag of the kingdom of God. And our supreme allegiance is pledged to our absolute monarch, King Jesus. And as long as we've got that hierarchy in the right order, then yes, We are to give honor to whom honor is due with regard to the civil authorities. But as the Apostle Peter declared when he was forbidden to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, we must obey God rather than men. The authority of the state has its limits. The authority of the state has its limits. For the Christian, obedience to the state has its limits. This is the rule. When civil government compels us to do something clearly contrary to the revealed law of God, we must obey God rather than men. When the state forbids us to do something clearly commanded by the revealed word of God, we must obey God rather than men. And the revolutionaries at work in our nation are pushing that limit pushing that envelope to the breaking point. We're already there in some cases. 
So let us pray for the courage and the grace to obey God rather than men, whatever the consequences. Let us teach our children and our grandchildren where their first and their highest allegiance lies. King Jesus. This is really the point of Peter's poignant instruction. Fear God, honor the emperor. Fear God, honor the emperor in that order. Keep first things first. Fear God. Remember who he is. He can kill not only your body, but also throw your soul into hell. That's what Jesus said. Fear God means to obey God with highest allegiance and accountability. And to the degree that you can fear and obey God and simultaneously honor the emperor, then honor the emperor. But when faced with the clear divide in the words of the apostle Peter, we must obey God rather than men. May the Lord give us grace and courage in that trial to be faithful. And if there is ever any wavering in our hearts, let us remember this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He's already been there, and He's already done that for us. For our salvation, He suffered the rejection of the Jewish authorities and the brutality of the Roman Empire. And He did that to deliver us from the dominion, the domain of the devil and to make us citizens of his eternal kingdom. And God the Father raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand far above all rule and authority and power with the name above every name. Brothers and sisters, beloved in the Lord, let us never, ever forget or doubt that Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, is King of kings and Lord of lords, and His kingdom is forever. Therefore, trusting in Him alone for our salvation, let us walk in His ways and keep His commandments to the honor of His name. To God be the glory. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we give You thanks for Your sovereign rule over the world and over our lives. And we do pray, Lord, that we would be strengthened by the strength of Your Spirit. Help us, dear Lord, to be conformed more nearly to the likeness of your Son, who was the perfect embodiment of your law. That we might live on the earth even now as citizens of heaven. To the glory of your name. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand and affirm our faith, reading from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2. Christians, in whom do you believe? We believe in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count the